HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This week on Meet and 3, we bring you stories about how Gen Z is different from their millennial predecessors through the lens of food. My knowledge of alcohol didn't really come from like Bud Light commercials or like Project X. Yeah, and that's my gripe with the platform as well, is that all these DIY videos, cooking videos, they're 20 seconds. What's one food item from your childhood that you wish you could have today? Dunkaroos, because they don't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. Although, the Dunkaroos Twitter was activated again a year ago, so it's only a matter of time. They've tweeted a couple times, it's pretty hype. Listen to Meet in 3, HRN's food news and storytelling roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. Hearst Ranch beef is 100% grass-fed, free-range, and always antibiotic-free. Our beef will be available in Whole Foods Market's 44 California locations from San Luis Obispo to San Diego throughout the summer beginning June 1st. You can also order our 100% grass-fed beef online as part of a partnership with Larder Meat Company. Visit HearstRanch.com. That's H-E-A-R-S-T Ranch.com. Welcome to Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast of the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. I'm your host, Todd Shulkin, the Foundation's Executive Director. Our show takes you inside the Foundation's world to meet the talented people we have the great fortune of learning from all the time. On today's show, we're celebrating Julia's birthday and featuring some of our favorite Julia moments from this past season. Stay with us and join the party. As always, we launch the conversation with an inspiration from Julia. Like last year, we thought there's no better way to celebrate what would have been Julia's 108th birthday on August 15, 2020, than to showcase her legacy through some of our favorite Julia moments from this season. They highlight not only what Julia means to those who knew and admire her, 
but also her enduring ability to teach and inspire us all. The Julia Child Award, presented by the Foundation, together with the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History, is one example of how we continue to foster Julia's legacy by shining a spotlight on those closely following in Julia's footsteps. Julia's personal convictions, her passion, and her desire to share her knowledge with everyone, at the same time bringing people into the kitchen and around the table, is exactly the spirit the jury recognized in 2020's Julia Child Award recipient, Food Tank co-founder and president, Danielle Nirenberg. The foundation's $50,000 grant, in conjunction with the award, to Food Tank, a think tank for food dedicated to bringing together leading thinkers and doers to create solutions to the world's most difficult food challenges, will be used to launch a multi-city series of Food Talk Live events, forums for all sides of the food world to come together. A portion of the grant will also be used to create a year-long food tank, food justice paid fellowship to research and cover issues around food equity and justice. To learn more, listen to our conversation with Danielle Nuremberg in episode 94. So to celebrate Danny's selection and Julia's birthday, we've collected five favorite Julia moments from chefs Sarah Moulton, Huni Kim, and David Leibovitz, New York Times columnist and author Melissa Clark, and farmer and activist Leah Penniman. Not only did each of these Julia moments delight, they're particularly meaningful during COVID times. So relax, pause, reflect, and enjoy these Julia moments. We'll be right back. When you flip anything, you really, you just have to have the courage of your convictions, particularly if it's sort of a loose mass like this. Well, that didn't go very well. See, when I flipped it, I didn't, I didn't have the courage to do it the way I should have. But you can always pick it up, and if you're alone in the kitchen, who is going to see? As always, we listen to Julia's immortal words to introduce our Julia moment. Today, the Julia moment is many Julia moments. Our favorites from this, our eighth season. As loyal listeners know, at the end of every episode of Inside Julia's Kitchen, we ask all of our guests to share their favorite Julia memory, moment, or how she's inspired them in their career. Our first Julia moment comes from episode 88 and New York Times columnist and cookbook author Melissa Clark. Melissa's Julia moment centers on Julia's lesson about being fearless in the kitchen. This is a true tenet of Julia's, and fittingly, the inspiration behind our Julia moment segment, as heard in the audio clip of Julia and the French Chef. Melissa nails how good Julia was at being our guiding hand in the kitchen and how her mistakes, even if more legendary than real, continue to help novices begin and veterans improve. All right, Melissa, I hope we haven't exhausted all your Julia thoughts. What's your Julia moment? Oh, no, I have so many Julia thoughts. Okay, my Julia moment is, I mean, I'm sure a lot of guests talk about the time that she dropped the chicken. <laughs> okay, go for it. Is that, I mean, is that does that come up a lot? Um, because I just Well, it you know, does. I'm going to let you say what you're going to say, but go ahead. Um, now, this is one of those things. So this is... Um, the reason that this is such an important moment is, so I never watched Julia on TV. Like, I think I saw her once or twice. So I never saw this. And I don't even know if it's true. Um, 
so I'm like, I'm wondering if, you know, now that I'm saying it, I'm like, is it true? I don't know. But what I love, the, the, the moment that stands out in my mind of stories about Julia Child is when she supposedly dropped this chicken and picked it up and wiped it off and said, the good thing about having your own kitchen is nobody can see what you're doing and proceeded with the recipe. And that is my, that is absolutely how I am in the kitchen. It's such an inspiration because what that says to me is, you know what? Things aren't going to always go right. And if you make a mistake, just carry on because you can still make something delicious. And I think about that all the time. I mean, not specifically a dropped chicken, but this, uh, anytime I make a mistake, you know, I'm like, you know what, how, what's the best way to get through this and get to the end, which, and the end is a delicious meal. And so that is what I think of, you know, to me, Julia Child is the cook, the most resourceful person who can, you know, make a mistake and go on and make something amazing. Now tell me, did it really happen? As far as we know, it never happened. But you're not the only you're not you are actually the only person I think who's brought this up as a Julia moment. The more common Julia moment, um, which is not super common, but people particularly who didn't have the chance to meet her reference like the first time they watched the French chef. And sometimes that was as a child, like with Rick Bayless. And more often it was as an older kid or an adult. But no one's brought up the chicken. But it's a very I mean, there are people who will vehemently tell you it happened. And we don't take the position that it never happened, but we've never been able to find the footage or or the record. And, you know, the the sound clip we use is from when she spills what actually is potato pancake very early on and says that famous line. Um, but we also think it may have something to do with the fact that there were so many parodies of Julia that a lot of things gets kind of co- uh, combined in people's mind as a memory where they're merging actual Julia with comedy about Julia. Oh, that's funny. That's probably true. Yeah, because I don't know that it happened and I never saw it, but I just love that to me. And that, I mean... So then the potato pancakes, the same thing. I'll actually be more correct about it going forward. But the idea that, you know what, she's on TV and she makes a mistake and she carries on, right? How great is that? No, exactly. And I think I think you got the message of that. And I think that is even what people mean when they say and and I've it hasn't happened to me in particular, but other members of the foundation family have said that people have vehemently argued with them that they saw it and that the whoever it is, is wrong. So maybe it does exist out there. I mean, we've talked to WGBH staff before who've been like, we've been looking for it. We can't find it. What episode is it? (laughs) So it is an ongoing mystery of the universe. I wonder if you could find the parody of it. I bet it was a parody that got conflated in people's minds. We haven't yet, because it's actually not the Dan Aykroyd parody that's one of the most famous is 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 actually incredibly gory. And it's mostly about him cutting off fingers and blood spurting everywhere. Ew. Okay. No, I never saw that one either. No, it's I'm, very, I'm, it's very funny. And but there is footage. I came across footage of Julia on on a show. You might be old enough, Melissa, there, because this is predates me. But I know about it just sort of historically. Like, there was a show called Dick Cavett, and he was a talk show host. And Julia was on Dick Cavett showing him how to cook. Who knew? And it was actually very amusing. Oh, I, I have not. I've never seen. I've certainly never seen that one either. But. uh yeah, I mean, I guess I really should have. I mean, to me, you know, so there was that moment, I guess, that that apocryphal moment that happened or didn't happen. But um, I, you know, it's I, I love reading her books. You know, I, I spent a lot of time um, because there. I guess I just spent a lot of time, you know, taking apart the way she tells the way she tells a recipe. It's almost like telling a story. You know, they're very very complete. And 
Um, I learned from that. I've definitely learned from that. I love to read her recipes. They are so detailed and you just can't go wrong. No, and I think if you read her recipes or you kind of take them with a, sl- a slightly studied approach, you you see how very specific she is with language and that she she is very efficient, but it, it it's very clear that it, it was – or either that she had amazing clarity, but it, it it's very um, clear and efficient. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I think uh, I think as recipe as a recipe writer myself, there is much to be learned from dipping back into that. Indeed. Next up, it's pastry chef, author, Paris expert David Leibovitz's Julia moment from episode ninety. David, as many guests inevitably do, offers us two of his favorite Julia moments, both professional encounters, when when he was still a young chef and more recently, an award-nominated author. David's homages echo a recurring theme about Julia, how she stayed down-to-earth despite her fame. David's Julia moments powerfully represent Julia's grace and genuine interest in other people, no matter their station in life and no matter the moment. It's a key reason Julia is still so widely adored, because she truly cared about and recognized everyone. Okay, David, what's your Julia moment? Uh, well, the first time I met Julia Child, I was working at Chez Panisse. And I was in the pastry department, so I was in the back of the kitchen. And one of the great things about Chez Panisse is people always came in the kitchen to talk to us, whether it was Steve Martin, whether it was Bill Clinton, or whether it was James Beard or Richard Olney. We were always, these people came in. It was just spectacular. Um, and Julia Child was coming in for dinner um, and Alice Waters, the owner of the restaurant, was very excited and nervous at the same time because she wanted to make sure Julia Child had an amazing meal. And Julia Child walked into the kitchen. You know, she was very tall, sort of hunched over, sort of looking around, and everyone was kind of looking at her. You know, we had you know, you, you can't you couldn't help but not look at her, and everyone was kind of stunned. And then she came over to me, and I just started talking to her like a person. I was like. Hey, hey, Julia, how's it going? And so forth. And then, you know, she was very nice. We had a little chat about it. So she goes, what are you making there, dearie? And I'm like, oh, a nectarine tart. She goes, look at those nectarines. They're so orange. And I bet they're from a lovely, you know, I'm not going to try to in, try to imitate her voice. Um, but she was very nice. And then when she left, um, somebody came up to me, um, Alice's husband at the time. And she, he said, that's what she really wanted. She just wanted to be treated like a person. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> like she didn't, she didn't like to be fussed over. Um, and the second time I met her, I was at a culinary conference and my book, it was my first book had come out and it had been nominated for the book award. So they put me at this table near the front of the auditorium. And at my table was, it was me, Julia Child, Graham Kerr and Claudia Rodin. And I'm sitting there like this guy who stood in the back of the kitchen and sliced nectarines all night, you know. You've so, arrived. Yeah. And these people, you know, the, the servers came over to her and they said, the kitchen made you this special dessert, Julia. And it was this really complicated chocolate sculpture. And she just looked at it, very gracious. It's not her thing. You know, she just wanted, you know, tarto palm. She didn't like people making a fuss over. She was so gracious um, and lovely. And it was just charming to be. And she said to me, she goes, can you find me Marion Cunningham? I really want to talk to her because she liked Marion because she was so down to earth 
and I knew Marianne pretty well, so I found her. Um, anyway, my book didn't win. And the next year, I was placed in the back of the auditorium with everybody else. <laughs> so I had my two Julia moments, um, and <laughs> those were them. Well, thank you very much for being here and sharing those memorable moments with us. Oh, thank you for inviting me to share them. It was really, it's great to think about her because, you know, I often tell people, like, I exist, I can do what I do because of people like her and Patricia Wells, who, you know, I'd like to give Patricia Wells a nod to for bringing France to Americans. Um, you know, a lot of times people have said to me, well, shouldn't a Frenchie person be doing what you're doing? And I was like, well, a lot of Americans, you know, I can relate to Americans. I know, you know. So, and Julia Child made France relatable to Americans. And that was her brilliance. So, so chapeau, Julia. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Rounding out Julia's ability to inspire, we turn to episode 93 and chef Hooni Kim's Julia moment. Hooni's Korean restaurants, Danji and Hanjan in New York City, are considered some of the best in the world. However, like Julia, Hooni didn't discover his passion to cook professionally until he was well into his medical studies. Hooni eloquently reflects on Julia's example that it's never too late to change the direction of your life. All right, Huni, what's your Julia moment? Um, so mine started uh, in when I was in culinary school. Um, I, I was a pretty good cook <laughs> at school. So, um, you know, I was thinking about maybe uh, trying to do this professionally. But the one thing that always uh, bothered me was I was probably the oldest one in my class because um, I was 30, 31 when I, when I was uh, attending culinary school. So I just thought maybe I'm too old. Uh, and I was talking to my professor about my concern. And she basically said, you know, I think uh, Julia Child was uh, older than you when she started cooking. And I looked that up and basically there's a <laughs> quote when she says, I was 32 when I started cooking. Up until then I just ate. And that was me. You know, I've always loved eating food, uh, always loved going to restaurants. And, um, you know, if Julia's child started at 32, then that was not an issue. It should not be an issue for me um, starting at that age. So, you know, thanks to her, I actually, it helped me become a, a chef. That. Is so great. I, I'm sitting here just uh, beaming with a smile because that's such a, a lovely uh, further connection. So thank you uh, for sharing that. And thank you for joining us today. We'll be right back with two more poignant Julia moments you won't want to miss from season eight of Inside Julia's Kitchen. Stay with us. I'm Brian Kenny, a board member at HRN and Director of Collections and Archives for Hearst Western Properties. Hearst Ranch beef is 100% grass-fed, free-range, and always antibiotic-free. I recently recorded an episode of HRN on Tour with the Division Manager for Hearst Ranch, Roland Camacho. We talked about our company's values. When I was doing your job, mm -hmm. the question I was asked the most was, why aren't you organic? <laughs> Tell us how organic works and what the scale of our uh, of our operation is. 
for sure. It doesn't necessarily scale to us. Let's put it that way. Um, if we were to want to certify the ranch or, or certify the beef cattle that we're selling, every place that they touch would have to be certified. What it comes down for us is we realize that it just the term organic doesn't say anything about the way the animal was raised. It right. doesn't say anything about what the animal was given to eat. It only tells you what was not in it. Mm-hmm. So the animal technically could be confined. Right. The animal technically could be fed a 100% grain diet. Probably the biggest difference between us and what we're trying to do. Like we want to tell people these cattle were allowed to engage in their natural behaviors their entire life. We can tell you everything about the way this animal was raised. So we know what was in it all the time. We know what wasn't in it all the time. And those things aren't covered with the organic claim. And that's why we're not overly concerned with, with, with getting it. It doesn't seem to hold as much water as one might think. Our beef will be available in Whole Foods Market's 44 California locations from San Luis Obispo to San Diego throughout the summer beginning June 1st. You can also order our 100% grass-fed beef online as part of a partnership with Larder Meat Company. Visit hearstranch.com. That's H-E-A-R-S-T ranch.com. Welcome back. Today we're celebrating what would have been Julia's 108th birthday, featuring five of our favorite Julia moments from this, our eighth season. The Julia moments we've chosen are ones that delight and showcase why Julia's legacy endures and what she still has to teach us today. I think we can all agree that 2020 has, in its first eight months, been a pretty tough year. Our final two Julia moments reflect Julia's wisdom about appreciating the things that truly matter in life and in society, things which, until the COVID-19 pandemic forced us to slow down and reevaluate our world, we may have lost sight of with all the dining out, traveling, texting, selfies, and nonstop emails. In episode 91, we talked to the co-founder of Soulfire Farm and author of Farming While Black, Leah Penniman, about racial justice in America, how it's deeply rooted in land ownership and food security inequality. Leah's Julia moment captures the need to go beyond just Julia's personal legacy to recognize those less celebrated but equally important figures in American food. We also talked about how Julia herself was not afraid to speak truth to power, with her unique ability to be subtly provocative. Leah. What's your Julia moment? <laughs> so something I really appreciate about Julia Child is that she affirmed that it's really good for us to use whole natural ingredients, even when nutritionists were saying to the contrary. So things like, you know, butter and cream and um, animal fats and these things that we're able to raise here on our farm and we see as integral and, and healthy parts of a diet as opposed to margarine and highly manufactured things. So that's something I really appreciate about Julia Child. And then, you know, I'll just add that it's also important, I think, at the same time as we uplift her legacy, that we talk about the Black chefs um, and culinarians who we consider the founders of our food revolution and our food movement. So folks like Edna Lewis, Brian Terry, uh, Michael Twitty, um, Jessica Harris. And so there are many probably under, you know, 
underrepresented or not as well-known fabulous chefs who are advocating the same things over that stretch of time that also deserves some time in the spotlight. Well, thank you very much for highlighting that. And, and many people don't know that Julia Child and Edna Lewis had the same editor and that it was uh, Judith Jones' passion for Julia that led into her having the clout to then advocate for Edna Lewis to be published. Oh, that's fantastic. And, I did not know that. <laughs> and I'm also glad you brought up the butter thing because we were internally the foundation having that conversation that now everyone thinks it's sort of cute and just, just fun that Julia said, you know, if you're afraid of butter, use cream. And people put that on their plaques. And But when she said that, it was an incredible political statement. She She was doing it in her usual artful way, but she was saying, I'm not afraid of the fat police. I don't think this is right, even though everybody wanted to buy things that didn't have any fat in them. And it, it's mm-hmm. kind of funny how, right, that, that phrase has taken on a different, like, more, more fun meaning, but it was actually a very political and radical statement when she said it. Absolutely. And we see that now. Yeah, we see that now with people trying to get us to eat these corporate foods instead of the things that come right from the land and the things that our grandparents taught us to eat. And, you know, when folks say, how do we get healthier and strong? I'm like, just look at what your great grandparents ate and <laughs> go back to that and you'll you'll be 80% there at least. I know I hate to tell people that hummus chips, you need to look at the ingredients in that stuff. Anything that comes out of an extruding machine and goes into a bag is not going to be as good as something that comes out of the ground. Mm-hmm. Amen. Looking back to the beginning of season eight, I was struck by how celebrity chef Sarah Moulton's Julia moment still rings true about the pandemic's lesson, perhaps silver lining, about the value of slowing down to take time to reflect and just be. Sarah also speaks to the importance of cooking as well as sharing meals with friends and loved ones and how the pandemic has forced us to reconsider the value and the loss of each. Interestingly enough, all things Julia urged us to value and prepare for more than 50 years ago. All right, Sarah, your turn. What's your Julia moment? Well, I don't have a favorite one. I have so many. So I'm just going to share one that I think is very uh, appropriate for these times. When I worked with her on Julia Child and More Company, which was the public television show that we taped at uh, WGBH in Boston in 1979, we worked very oddly three days a week. I have no idea why. And I could only work two out of three because the other five I was a chef at a restaurant. But we would develop the recipes as we went along. And the, some of them were quite elaborate, you know, gato de crepe, which had, you know, a, a layers of crepes and fillings, you know, it was mile high cake sort of thing. Or, um, you know, bon mot chocolat, you know, which we, it took us like 14 times to get right. But we would be developing the recipes as we were doing the show, which is crazy. However, whether we were developing recipes that day or actually recording the show, we would stop for lunch. And we had this woman on, we had many volunteers. Uh, There weren't that many um, actual paid professionals, Uh, but we all loved each other and had fun. And we had a volunteer named Temi Hyde, whose job it was to sort of set up lunch. And she's a very elegant lady. And uh, so from Newton, so she would uh, set up long tables, you know, long, you know, six foot tables, you know, two, two at a time, put tablecloths on them, 
set them with flatware and, you know, napkins and the whole nine yards. And then we would stop for lunch. We'd have a little aperitif, uh, chilled vermouth, and then we would sit down for lunch. And usually we ate what we were making and we'd talk about it and taste it, or we'd sometimes get food brought in. And we would have wine with lunch. And we talk somewhat about the recipes, but we talk about other things. And it was really, really civilized. It was a real lunch, um, you know, probably an hour. And I have to say, though, that things did move a little bit slowly in the afternoons. And uh, in subsequent years, I think they dispensed with wine at lunch, although I imagine they still sit down and uh, sat down and had a nice lunch. So that was definitely Julia. She didn't just teach us about cooking. She taught us about culture. And she taught us about dining, much like I'd mentioned earlier. And this was a message that this is an important part of your life. It's not just to eat, but to dine. Um, and I think that's an amazing message and a very important one. And it's one of the reasons I'm so in love with French culture is they understand that, and Italian culture as well, European culture in general, but those two countries in particular. And I really hope that's something that we can learn. I'm just thinking about the production work I'm involved in, and everything is so cost and time-driven, right? And maybe that's something we can learn from this slowdown, which is that has value in and of itself, even if obviously having a longer lunch costs the crew a lot more time. Well, good ideas come when you slow down. It's like, for the longest time, uh, as a freelancer, which I've been for many years, I wouldn't take weekends off. I just work every day. I felt like I needed to work every day, you know, because you're always worried about when your next job is going to come in or when you're going to make money. And then a very good friend of mine said, no, you absolutely have to take weekends off. So I started doing it only about three years ago. And it was very hard for me because I'm such a workaholic because I'm so worried about money. As it turns out, for various reasons, I'm not so worried anymore. But I, that's when I started really enjoying my time off and reading more books. And I started my painting. And then I'd go back on Monday so fresh with really better ideas about work. You can't work unless you have time off. I mean, you can't work as well. It's it's so important to slow down and refresh and relax, and then you can go back with a new energy. Well, let's hope that holds for everybody when we get closer to being through this pandemic. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sarah. Well, it's always fun to talk about Julia. It really does make me happy. She 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 was the funniest person, really, I ever do. Uh, but she was also a very warm and loving and nurturing person. So it's just nice to even think about her. That's so lovely. I encourage all of our listeners to think about Sarah's words of wisdom about learning from slowing down, as this is something Julia not only endorsed, but practiced, and is one positive thing that COVID has provided amidst so much tragedy. We hope that today's celebration of Julia's legacy for what would have been her 108th birthday brings you some moments of joy and food for further thought. Get in touch. Send us an email or a voice memo to contact at juliachildfoundation.org or better yet, tweet us at juliachildjcf and let us know what Julia's legacy means to you or send us your own favorite Julia moment. 
Thanks for joining us to celebrate Julia's birthday and the meaning of her legacy. That's a wrap for this season of Inside Julia's Kitchen. Make sure you're following us for the next season's launch and the latest news on the Smithsonian Food History Gala from Home, including the presentation of the Julia Child Award to Food Tank co-founder and president Danielle Nirenberg as part of Smithsonian Food History Weekend at the National Museum of American History. This year, the event will be accessible to everyone, wherever they may be, on October 15 to 17, 2020. All you'll need is internet access and to register. Look for all the details soon on at Julia Child on Facebook and at Julia Child Foundation on Instagram. It's at Julia Child JCF, and I'm at T. Shulkin on Twitter. The Julia Child audio clip from The French Chef is used with permission from our friends at WGBH. Thanks, as always, to my co-producer of the Foundation, Lauren Salkeld, and our regular sound engineer at Heritage Radio Network, Amanda Wang. Our theme song is New French Horn by Novi Veltorni. Please give us a review. It really helps new listeners discover the show. We're on the air on Heritage Radio Network on Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, with downloads available soon after, wherever you find your podcast. We look forward to bringing you back into the Foundation's world next season on Inside Julia's Kitchen. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter. Our handle is at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>